There are holy days throughout the course of the year, days that we celebrate um, our holidays and our um, religious recognitions and our days of faith. There are um, secular holidays during the course of the year. Valentine's Day next week would be one. Um, and then there's Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm not quite sure where that fits, but it has become um, such a big day. Uh, we, we joked, you know, we, um, when we picked Celebration Sunday, part of the reason we picked the 31st is because we knew we couldn't pick the 7th because people would be getting ready for the, for the parties and things. How many of you will watch the game, just out of curiosity? How many of you just watch it for the commercials? I'm just kind of curious. You know, I think it's like $5 million for a 30-second spot. Yeah, yeah. I thought in honor of the Super Bowl, I would sell announcement time this morning <laughs> if you want to come up. Uh, $5 million, and I know, you know, that, that becomes um, part of the show, but, but it should be, uh, well, you know, it's, it's football, so it's one more game if you're a sports fan. That's the way I look at it. Um, I wanted to say... Quickly, I forgot to say earlier, the video that you saw, the music that was playing there in the background, which was Come Thou Fount, which we'll sing together uh, in a few moments as we conclude worship, uh, that arrangement was actually played by John Godfrey, our worship arts director. That was his, um, his recording, and I hope one of these days those recordings that he's done will be available to us, you know, on CD form. I don't know if they will be. I'm just hoping they will. But if you see John, uh, you know, let him know that you appreciate his talents. Uh, all right, this morning our scripture reading comes uh, from 2 Corinthians, or as I recently heard it referred, um, 2 Corinthians. Um, <laughs> if you got that, great. If not, that's okay. Um, it says 318. I'm actually just going to read through um, uh, through verse, I think I'm going to about verse, um, verse 4. So, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, carrying into the beginning of chapter 3. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not of ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets 
of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, that your word written on these pages, these words read before us, would speak to our hearts, would challenge our faith, and would draw us to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, Tony and Ryan are away this weekend. That was the kind of joke at the beginning that Tony's not here uh, this morning to dress me. She's not. Uh, she and Ryan are down in Miami. Ryan's doing a college visit, if you can uh, believe that, because I can't. Uh, I have pictures of, of him on, well, of both the kids, but on the wall in the office. And one of the pictures was the first year we were here, the first cantata. And some of you remember he played the guitar, and he was so little. And uh, he's not anymore, and so they're, uh, so they're away for the weekend, and I'm trying to, so I was trying to get some stuff done this weekend around the house to kind of help out, and um, one of the things Tony's been talking about needing to get done, we have, uh, I think I've talked before about this, we have a German shepherd uh, at the house, um, well, part of the family, Dakota, and um, Dakota likes to come in to the bedroom, especially when Tony and I are, you know, watching TV or just there, and, and she lays on the floor on Tony's side of the bed. And on the floor, we've got um, a couple kind of throw rugs because it's, it's laminate flooring. So, so we have those down. And so Dakota uses that as her mat a lot of time when she's home. And um, it has taken on a, um, a fragrance uh, <laughs> that smells like wet dog. And so Tony's been saying, ah, we need, to, we, need to get, we need to wash that. And so the other day... I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw these in the washing machine. So I grabbed both of the rugs. They're identical rugs. And I grabbed them, carried them into the, to the laundry room. And I wasn't sure whether I could actually wash them both at the same time. So I thought, well, I might need to do one at a time. And I should probably wash Tony's first because that's where Dakota has been, and that's the one that really stinks. The problem was um, I had them both there identical. I, I had them both in my hand, and I didn't remember which was which. So when you don't know which is which, how do you find out? <laughs> Wasn't hard to figure out. <laughs> and I did that. And I realized I gave it the, um, the smell test. Gave it the smell test. Now, how often do we use the smell test for things? How many of you have grabbed milk out of the fridge <laughs> and given it a smell test? Right? Yeah. Or, or, or lunch meat that's been in there for a little while, or leftovers. We do smell tests. How many of you, parents or grandparents, <laughs> have been handed a little one and given the smell test? You don't even have to look. The nose knows, you know, that kind of thing. Or my favorite, because of the way that I am organized. How many of you have ever seen the shirt laying on the couch and wondered, is that clean or dirty? <laughs> and you give it the smell test. In fact, I thought it would be a fun little experiment here <laughs> to give something a smell test. Here, you want to give this a smell test? Is that clean or dirty? <laughs> what is it? Is it? Is it? What do you think? What do you think? It smells clean. 
It smells clean. It is clean. Just came out of the washing machine. I washed it myself. All right. Ready for another one? Gym shorts. They were gym shorts. Gym shorts, just in case you're wondering. The, the, the aroma of things, the smell of things, they, they can tell a lot about the nature, about the character, about the value. Things that smell good attract us. They draw our attention. They draw our curiosity. How many of you ever you know, walked by a, a shop or a restaurant that had a fragrance that was pleasing to you? It catches you. You, you want to know more. Uh, you, you drive through fresh bread or, or citrus, whatever it may be, that, that grabs the attention. Paul, in this text to the church in Corinth, in these words to us, he, he talks about the testimony of our lives. That's really what he's talking about. He's talking about the testimony of our lives. And, and the back half of the verses I read, he, he, he talks to the people saying, you are basically our letter of recommendation. What had happened was Paul, as he's traveling and teaching, he's getting criticized by those who want to kind of tear down his ministry, tear down his words, tear down his message, because they're basically saying, you don't have credentials. You don't have letters of recommendation. Teachers would often travel with letters of recommendation that uh, just like letters of recommendation do today, that talk about their accomplishments and the difference they've made and the impact they've had. And Paul didn't carry those kind of things. And so he's being picked at, and, and he's responding to that a little bit. So often in his letters, he does respond to things that, that we may lose in the context of, of reading it, but if you know time and place, you recognize he's addressing certain issues, and that's what he's doing. And he says, I don't need a letter of recommendation on paper, you are my letter of recommendation. The church, your ministry, your faithfulness, your obedience to Christ, you are the testimony of, of the impact, of the ministry, of, of the difference that we've made. So he's talking about the, the character of our lives. And just prior to that, he talks about being an aroma. An aroma for Christ. And it's in the same context. It's the same um, vein. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ, the testimony of our lives. It's the smell test. It's the smell test. How do we behave, look, live in such a way that our lives become a letter of recommendation? Our lives become a testimony. Our lives become the aroma of Christ that draws attention from all who see us, that gives credibility to the faith that we sing and pray and profess. What, what do our lives look like? And so as, as I kind of just zeroed in on that phrase, the aroma of Christ, I began to ask myself, what does that mean? You know, I could say to you, be the aroma of Christ. You go, yeah, that sounds great. It's wonderful. I want to be the aroma of Christ. But what does it mean? And I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I don't think that what I'm about to share is the only ways, but there were two key areas of our lives, two characteristics of our lives that begin, I believe, to either give off the fragrance of Christ or 
the stench of our humanity. And those two areas are our conversation and our conduct. Our conversation and our conduct. Now, this is not earth-shattering truth. This is actually not anything you've not heard before. But I sort of think, if I want to question my own life as to whether or not I would fit into what Paul describes as the pleasing aroma of Christ, I have to look at my conversation and my conduct. Now, I read some other writings and, and preachers on, on this kind of a, a, a topic, and they talked, and, and somebody else that I came across talked about not conversation, but confession. He said it's the confession of your life and the things that you profess, um, the, the faith that you profess. And, and I, with all due respect, I think that is absolutely true to a portion, to a, to a point. I do believe that the words that we speak, the confessions that we make, the faith that we speak of and, and proclaim, that, that does matter. That is important. That's why we do confessions of faith. That's why we, we recite together the prayers and, and, and readings of, of our faith. What we say about what we believe is important, but that's not enough. And that's why I didn't talk about confession. I wanted to talk about conversation. Does the conversation of your life, beyond what we say and do here, beyond the religious moments, does it give a fragrant aroma of Christ? In the 19th century, when um, it is said that when early printers, uh, which would use typesetting, to, you know, individual letters to, to, to reproduce writings or, or, or any kind of work. Uh, when they would get orders for the, for the writings and the poetry of Alfred Lord Tennyson, it said that, that the printers would have to go get extra L's and extra V's. They'd have to get extra L's and extra V's because in Tennyson's poetry, he so often talked about love. That was so, and and the, the allotment of L's and V's that they had available would never have been enough to cover the frequency of Tennyson's use of the word love. I wonder, for me, if my conversations, if my words, if my interactions were set to print, what frequent letters would be needed? Would it be the L and the V because love and grace and mercy permeates my conversation? Or would it be other things? What would be the character of my life as exemplified by the conversation of my lips? Because words have power. Words have power. I was reading an account of um, villagers in the Solomon Islands. And there's an, an, an interesting tradition that they have that when they would come across a tree in the forest that was too big to be um, cut down with the axes and the equipments they have. The account says that the, the woodsmen, in the early morning, they would go out, and I kid you not, this is how it read, they would sneak up on the tree. <laughs> now just let that sit with you for a moment. I, I'm just getting the image, how do you sneak up on a tree? I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but they would probably walk quietly to the tree. And for 30 days, every morning, they would get up, and they would yell at the tree. I kid you not. They would yell at the tree. And the belief was after 30 days, the tree would die. That it would die. 
Now, I don't know the scientific accuracy of this. I don't know how, how, you know, I would love to see it. But words have the power to kill. They kill the spirit. Because the idea was that in 30 days of yelling at the tree, they killed the spirit of the tree. So do our words kill spirits? Or do they give life? Do they, do they lift up? Do they empower and embolden? Do, do they, are they peppered with love? You know, and, and even sometimes our critiques, our calling people to accountability can be done with love, can be done with grace, can be done with compassion. Do our lives give that kind of, of testimony? Does our conversation echo that? Because it has the power to change lives, the things that we say. And it has the power to kill spirits. I remember in a small way, when I was a sophomore in high school, at the end of my sophomore year, I was moved up to the varsity football team, and we were playing in our spring jamboree, and it was the first game as a varsity football player that I had ever played, and I had moved to a new position as a defensive end. And uh, we played a, a game against Zephyr Hills, which... Uh, incidentally, it was the high school that Tony attended, uh, though we did not know each other at the time. I maintained she was scouting me out, but um, <laughs> she says no. Um, but, uh, but I played the game, and uh, I remember the next Monday, it was a Friday night, and one of the, the guys on the team who was one of the stars of the team came up to me and said, Chris, Coach Michaels, who was the coach, uh, was reviewing the tape. And he was raving about how well you played. He was thrilled. He was just so, and, and was sharing all these wonderful things that Coach Michaels, who I respected and looked up to, had said about my performance in this game. I'm going to tell you what. Man, that changed the trajectory of my summer. I mean, it just filled me with so, uh, pride. Yeah, I was, I was proud of that. But I was motivated by that. I wanted to do better. I wanted to live into those expectations. I wanted to live up to those expectations. I worked harder that summer than I think I'd ever worked in my entire life to get ready for that next football season. And I wasn't a football star. I wasn't, you know, destined. I didn't play college ball. I wasn't scouted. But it made a difference. His words and those encouragement, and it, it changed things. It changes things for people. It does for you. It does for me. Does the conversation give credibility to our confession? Maybe that's the way we should say it. The second thing is our conduct. Does our conduct display the, the aroma of Christ? Certainly the things we say matter, but not nearly as much as the things that we do. In fact, those two things aren't either or, but they're both and. They ought to go hand in hand. Certainly saying and expressing words, words matter, but not if our conduct doesn't give evidence to it. Billy Graham tells a story about having been... I can't remember where he was when he tells the story, but he was sharing Christ with, with a man. He was giving his testimony. He was sharing the gospel. And the man looked at him, and he said, You know what? I really, really like what you say. And I might be convinced to become a Christian if I ever actually met one. He said that to Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham may, in his own way, have been telling that story in modesty, and that's certainly harsh, but when people see us, when they encounter us, 
do they feel like they've met a Christian? Gandhi's credited with saying, there's some argument whether it's an actual quote, but, but he's credited with once having said to a, 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 to a pastor friend of his, that I, he said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians don't look so much like your Christ. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians don't look so much like your Christ. Do we, by our conduct, model, reflect Jesus? No, we're not perfect. None of us do that perfectly. But is that the striving of our hearts? Is that, is that our goal? Is that what we seek for? Because our lives become testimony to the credibility of, of who we are as a community of faith. We represent the church. We represent Christ. We are the body. I was driving out yesterday. I had to go pick up Cassidy at school after rehearsals all day. And uh, so about 4 o'clock, I'm heading down uh, to, to Haven Boulevard. And I don't know how many of you were out yesterday, but it was a zoo, right? It was an absolute mess out here. I mean, rainy, miserable day. I think there was stuff going on in um, Bradenton. And I've just, I, I couldn't believe what kind of a, a zoo it was. And, and so what happens is I'm getting, cars are just all over the place. I mean, people trying, you know, because lines were so backed up. So you've got people trying to kind of skip the line and force their way in. And, and it was just kind of ugly in a lot of sense. And my temperature was rising, you know, <laughs> internal temperature. And, and, and this is what I kept saying to myself. Chris. There's a church sticker on the back of your car. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Because, yeah, I'm the preacher. I get it. But I have to be reminded. And, and that's not even me just being funny. That's truthful. I'm thinking anything I do, I've said before, those stickers are blessings and curses, though, those magnets that we have. Anything I do, I know whoever sees behind me sees that. And forget the Parish United Methodist Church part. Not that that's not important because we represent that. But the cross, they see that. Because I do that. You know? I, have you heard the story? I, I may have told this before, but I'm going to risk telling it again. The story about the, the woman who was, who was at the stoplight. Did I tell you that? And the car, the car cuts her off. And she's, or, or the car, you know, is not moving fast enough, and she's honking the horn, and she's yelling, and she's cussing, and she's screaming, and she's just full road rage. And the cop comes up behind her, and she doesn't know. And he pulls her out of the car, and he handcuffs her, and he takes her to jail. And she's flabbergasted. And after a couple hours, they release her, and she's like, why did you arrest me? Why did you arrest me for that? And he's like, ma'am, I'm sorry. He's like, but I saw the way you were acting. I saw you cussing and screaming and honking and yelling, and I saw there was a cross on the back of your car, and I assumed it was stolen. <laughs> you know? Seriously? Do, do I behave? Do you behave in such a way that somebody would see that and go, that must be a stolen car? You know? Our conduct, our conduct matters. It can change lives. Tony Evans the, the pastor you may be familiar with, um, world-renowned, first African-American graduate of, of D Dallas Evangelical Seminary, I believe. He talks about how, as a 10-year-old, his parents were in a crumbling marriage, and they were angry and fighting, and it was ugly. And, and I'll kind of quickly sum up, but that his father gave his life to Jesus. 
And his mother wanted no part of it. And for a year, she made his life miserable because of that. But after a year of his faithfulness and his unwillingness to relent and his obedience and his quiet obedience and his willingness to get up at 3 a.m. to have devotion so as not to disturb her and his passion for living out this new faith, she gave her life to Jesus. He says it changed the trajectory of their their lives and their, their family conduct. Does your conversation, does my conversation, does your conduct, does my conduct, does it give off the aroma of Christ? Because hear this. It's interesting because Paul says that for some it is life and for some it is death. And what, what's that mean? Is that we're not doing it to seek to please others. Okay, we're not looking and saying, Let's, what can we do to appear good to others? We do it for God. We seek for God to be honored by our conversation or conduct. In doing so, we will bless others. In doing so, we will attract others. But our primary audience, the one we seek to please, is God the Father. If your life was a shirt and God were to hold it and breathe it in, would it pass the smell test? Let's pray. Lord, we need to be challenged. No matter where we are, we need to be challenged because there's more to go. There's growth. Help us to take next steps. None of us here are perfect, Lord. We thank you for your grace that covers us when we fall short. But don't let us use that as an excuse. Help us to seek to grow in our conversation and our conduct to give off the fresh aroma of Christ that would draw us, clo- you, draw us and others close to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.